Welcome to G Shit the Podcast. I'm Rhino. I am Giovanni, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Jeremy here, uh, aka Mr. Get You Out of Jail Free Card. <laughs> We're gonna go through some real cool stuff today. We're actually in his office. It's a dope uh, scene. We actually haven't done something like this before. Uh, so happy to show that off. Before we get into the stuff, you guys know what we do. We like the rapid fire, so rapid you guys can fine. understand our, uh, our our guests a little bit better. So we're going to start it off. Uh, basically, Jeremy, we ask you a question. First thing that comes to mind, spit it out. Gotcha. We've got about 15-ish questions that we're going to ask you, and we'll go back and forth. You want to start? Just the easy part. This the easy right. part. You can't get this wrong. Gotcha. Yeah, right. First question, favorite food? Ooh, Jamaican food. Okay. <laughs> favorite vacation? You said vacation? Yeah. Jamaica. <laughs> it's going to be real easy. <laughs> favorite color? Jamaica. Uh, favorite color is black. <laughs> okay. you was gonna say. Music or movies? Music. Okay. Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network? Ooh, my mom didn't let me used to watch. Uh, <laughs> used to let me watch Cartoon Network, so I gotta go with Nickelodeon. Correct. Oh, Yo, unless Nickelodeon, unless it, uh, Dragon Ball Z was on Cartoon Network. Or I ain't no? watched Dragon Ball Z. Well, technically, it might have been on Toonami, I think. Oh, yeah, then yeah, 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 Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> First thing you notice when you look at someone? Ooh, their haircut. Because <laughs> I used to cut. Favorite <laughs> music artist? Uh, J Cole. Paris or Tokyo? Mm, Tokyo. Okay. Yacht or jet? Ooh, jet. Do you believe in ghosts? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I ghosts in my past. No, I'm <laughs> like Casper ghosts. <laughs> favorite, favorite season? In Florida? It's all the same. Um, but if I was in a uh, yeah, state that had seasons, it would probably be spring. Spring. Club or lounge? Mm, lounge. Speak every language or talk to animals. I got you saying this. That's a good one. <laughs> got you thinking. It's not bad. Easy. This one's not easy. Um, <laughs> I think I go with the animals. I can talk to people. With Google Translate. Right, man. That's what I'm true. saying. Animals. Nope. That's man. it, man. Rapid fire, real easy, man. He said rapid fire, but he was trying to describe, <laughs> defend every argument. <laughs> <laughs> so. The rapid fire, that was step one. Now, the boss battle was trivia, yeah. but it's all easy trivia, especially, I mean, I know how smart you are, so this should be all cakewalk for you. It's all going to be law-related. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then it's one trick question in there just to throw you off just a little bit. Oh, man. And if you get it wrong, we'll get it out so that way your customer still comes to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not in front of my clients. It ain't live. We got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Which influential figure, born in Atlanta, Georgia, graduated from Morehouse College with a BA degree or a bachelor's degree in sociology, then went on to lead one of the most powerful revolutions in black history? Talking about Martin Luther King? Yes, we yes, <laughs> Which American minister and influential figure is known for his slogan, B-A-M-N, Bam? Mm -hmm. Bam. Uh, what was his original name? B-A-M-M, Bam. B-A-M-N. Like, damn, what a B. <laughs> I don't know. I could I could tell you what the words mean. You'll get it by any means necessary. Oh, oh man, I would have got this. Like that. That. <laughs> of course, it's uh, Minister Malcolm X. Yeah, student Minister Malcolm X. Good. I didn't know. I didn't never heard of it. Yeah, no one ever said it that way. I didn't think of it either. That's how I learned it. Run up. For real? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what his original last name was? Malcolm Little. Malcolm Little. Uh, this Kenyan American. Harvard grad, and correct me if I'm wrong, so I think I might have got this off of the white people uh, wiki page, <laughs> uh, grew up in Honolulu and was a senator in Illinois. That's not Barack? That's, that is Barack. <laughs> Which president was he? Which? The 44th? 44th. Yes, he is. 
who was the first African-American lawyer and civil rights activist to serve as an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States from October 1967 until October 1991? That would be Justice Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall. All right, you want to ask the trick question? Yeah, this is a weird one. What is Spriegel evidence? S-P-R-E-I-G-L. E-I-G-L. S-P-R-E-I-G-L. Spriegel evidence. <laughs> evidence that doesn't exist. I agree. We're going to edit that one out. <laughs> I found it somewhere. It says evidence of previous crime or bad acts. State versus Spriegel. I don't know who that was. Oh, so Spriegel, it's, probably, it's a case, yeah. right? State versus Spriegel. Mm-hmm. But in Florida, evidence of bad acts, we call it Williams Rule evidence. Oh, okay. So it's different depending on... It's different, like, depending on the jurisdiction. Gotcha. So you okay. could, gotcha. That could be... Uh, so he got even better. He, uh, he answered the trick he question the right way. Yeah, bro. <laughs> Dang. Um, still alive today, in 2001, Bill Clinton awarded this black activist with the Presidential Citizens Medal for her brave acts fighting for civil rights at six. At six? It's not Ruby? It's Bridges? Ruby, Ruby Bridges. Yeah, Is he cheating, Ray? Look at our screens <laughs> or something. Like, there's a mirror in here. He got Amazon Alexa. We're talking. She's doing all the research. For that was all the trivia. It actually went, what, six for six? Yeah, man. So see, I got the cheat code. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that those answers are in this calendar, but the calendar here, this is a Equal Justice Initiative calendar. I could have made uh, this trivia a lot faster if I yeah. it was written on the So wall. every day has black history in it. So yeah. I read it every day. But, I mean, I don't know that any of those answers were in it. Mm. But I mean, it was MLK, here. Malcolm X, Thurgood Marshall. They all yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah, what's today's date? The 29th? So today in 1915, Alabama legislature bars white female nurses from treating black male patients. So mm-hmm. that's wow. some shit. That's weird. Every they day is yeah from treating black male patients. Mm-mm-mm. Let's get into the questions now. So this is really going to be more about getting to know you, your business, your purpose, things like that. Uh, we're actually going to start off with your first Instagram post that you currently have up. Uh, do you remember what it is? Uh. On the, the business page, yes. I have two pages. Yes, the business, business page, one. I don't remember what it is. The work week is over, but the work never stops. Posted about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it now. <laughs> um, what does that mean? Word? What did that mean to you then, and has that changed since? Well, the short answer is no, it hasn't changed. But what it meant is basically what it sounds like. So as a criminal defense attorney, as an attorney generally, it's a, I mean, you could work throughout the week. But if you say your work stops there, you're lying because you're going to work throughout the weekend. You're going to have cases. You're going to have clients. You're going to have things, deadlines that you got to meet. And so you're going to work throughout the weekend. That's what I've done since I became a lawyer, since I was in law school, working, working, working. Yeah. But that's basically what that means. It doesn't stop. So How long I, have you been practicing? Practicing two years. Two years. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, a little bit over two years. Okay. And you started um, a silly law in, when you first started because I know that um, on your page, it also lists uh, JM Law. Was it ever called JM Law? Or so, yeah, I'll explain it. So I was at the public defender's office for the first about two years um, of practice. So while I was at the public defender's office, I incorporated my, my law firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of just sat dormant until I was ready to actually pick it up and yeah. run with it. I opened my own firm um, officially with the office space and actually taking on my own clients and, and whatnot. And so at first, that law page was called J. McClymont Law. Mm-hmm. That was the page. And then when I actually got out on my own, I changed the name to what my law firm name is actually. And how do you pronounce it? Acelia? Acelia. 
Any meaning behind it? Obviously. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for the law firm, I didn't want it to be named, you know, after myself. I kind of wanted mm. to be uh, reflective of the people I'm representing, my yeah. clients. So the A at the back of it stands for the Alexander. Um, the A in Alexander. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to incorporate my name, but not with my name actually in it. So Alexander is a Greek word, and it means defender of men. Mm. I put it at the back of um, Asili, and Asili is a Swahili word for origin, mm. so or the original. Right. So if you, like, put the words together and translate it out to English from mm -hmm. my own little mm -hmm. uh, creation, it yeah. translates out to the original defender of men. That, that's, and that's pretty what cool. So when I looked it up, uh, I didn't realize it was a capital way at the front and a capital way at the end. Yeah. Because in Swahili, I believe, Asilia is also a word that means it does. honest as well, right? It means genuine. So yeah, genuine. I created the with the capitals at the front mm -hmm. and in the back. And then once I finished creating it, the, the idea, mm -hmm. I went online and I searched it. And I found <laughs> that it did also have a, a, another meaning. That yeah, was just a coincidence. Line up, though. Yep. You start talking about uh, you and obviously practicing law. Um, how did that all begin? What was the moment that you realized this is what you wanted to do? It kind of like, um, it's, I can tell you that going back, I remember watching the Daredevil movie. <laughs> what? When I, was, <laughs> when I was like, I don't even know if it was like 10 or 11 years old when it yeah. came out. And he, the Daredevil was yeah. actually a lawyer. Yep. And he used to defend people, but he picked like people to defend. He would only defend I think like innocent people. I haven't seen the movie since I was a kid, but that's how yeah. I remember. You can tell if they were lying and stuff yeah. like that. He uses ears. Yeah, and right. So he'd be so, like, "Nah, I'm gonna defend you." <laughs> yeah. And so I can remember like as far back as that that I was like, I want to do that, and I want to, um, you know, I only want to defend innocent people. That was yeah. my thing back then. Obviously, that's changed now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I defend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I defend anything. Yeah. Um, defend but, people. Yeah. So. I can remember that that was, and that wasn't something that, you know, made me set in stone, like I wanted to be a lawyer, yeah. but like everything else after that. So, um, I w and if you go back, my dad was arrested when I was like four years old or so, and I saw that happen in front of me. Oh, wow. That didn't make me want to be a lawyer then. At four years old, I didn't even know what a lawyer was. Right. Um, and so when I was 12 years old, my dad went to prison uh, for like, he got sentenced 78 months, maximum time he could get for like a first, mm. uh, first conviction. Mm -hmm. And this was federal prison. And from then on, I think... That was really what set it in in motion because yeah. I had had uncles get deported. Uh, I have an uncles in prison and and cousins getting life sentences and all that stuff was happening throughout mm -hmm. throughout throughout. And then even I had went to jail when I was 16 for three three times for things I didn't do. Yeah. And so all of those things like as they as they kept happening, it just like solidified the the desire to become a lawyer. It's crazy. So it wasn't like, like one specific move. Yeah, it's like I might have picked the wrong. Uh, career shoot I done seen a couple of my people go to jail too I never wanted to defend them just, but, you know, you just, but it's kind of interesting because um, you know I feel like uh, and I, don't, I don't know correct me if I'm wrong you started off doing uh, or with the name change and then now you also are a criminal defense attorney and you also fight for civil rights Is that always have, was that always the goal or was it always a civil so, rights so at the public defender's office we just do criminal defense we don't do any civil rights cases mm -hmm. um, and I always wanted to do just criminal defense from when I was a kid mm -hmm. uh, but when I got to law school one of the one of my mentors student mentors he kind of put me on to what civil rights law was mm -hmm. um, and this was like I got to law school in like 2015 Okay. Um, Benjamin Crump became big in like Trayvon Martin's like 2012 and whatnot. Uh, but before that, I only knew Johnny Cochran as the Johnny Cochran who did criminal defense. Didn't know anything about him 
as this big civil rights attorney who did a lot of civil rights work, like like suing police departments and suing police unions and, and prisons rights, prisoners' rights. I didn't know any of that really existed, that you could sue police departments and whatnot, mm. change the law and, and get money for the families that were affected. It wasn't until I got to law school that one of my friends, his name is Jeremy as well, Jeremy Thompson, mm. that he told me like what that was about and he had been working at a firm that was doing that. So that kind of like made me interested in civil rights law as well. And then from there, I just like, okay, I'm going to do criminal defense and civil rights because I couldn't leave yeah. out the civil rights because that's where it seems to me that I'm going to make more change than, than fighting uh, cases one-on-one. That ties into what you have right now uh, represented with your logo and yourself, justice, integrity, civil rights. How yeah. do you relate to each of these terms? How do you define them? Why is that so important to you? Yeah, so uh, I guess we start one at a time. So yeah. justice, um, I think, I don't know where I heard this from, but somebody said justice is what love looks like in public. I'm not sure where that quote comes from or whatever. It's deep. But um, <laughs> everyone has their own, I guess, definition of justice. So some people, uh, if their family member gets killed, they want the person who killed that family member to be like, you know, off with their heads. Yeah. <laughs> and that's their, <laughs> that's their definition. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame them. Eye for an eye. Yeah. Um, and that's their definition of justice. Some other people would, you know, would want to pray for that person and forgive that person yeah. publicly and, and, and have that person like feel remorseful. And that's their version of, of justice. So, you know, I think justice is getting what the the victim or the person who's been done wrong, what they want in the situation, how they want to be, um, I guess, the, how they want the situation to be justified. Yeah. Uh, and so what's the next one? Integrity. Uh, integrity. Right. So I put that as, uh, you know, one of the, the three things that yeah. I deal with at my law firm because when you're faced with a criminal charge or your family has been... Um, drag through the mud because yeah. you know in this in this day and age and it's not just this day and age going back yeah. when people like us are you know dragged through the media for oh let me go let me back up when people that look like us get in trouble for something mm-hmm. or are killed the first thing that they do is bring up our past so if it was George Floyd they had to bring up any of his past records and, mm-hmm. and those things like that so and that sort of happens as a routine uh, thing. Yeah. So when I say integrity, in a civil rights aspect, I'm fighting for the integrity of that person. Mm-hmm. You know, in a, in a criminal defense aspect, when you're innocent until proven guilty, I'm fighting for your integrity as a person, as an innocent person, so that you're not being dragged through the mud and that, you know, you can walk outside with your head up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then civil, civil rights. rights. So justice, integrity, civil rights. Civil rights, kind of, they all tie into each other, yeah. sort of. So civil rights, I, I would define it, or what does it mean to me? Um, you know, basically making sure that people are treated how how you want to be treated, the mm-hmm. golden rule. Um, treat others how you would be treated. And I'm just trying to make sure that in my civil rights that people are getting treated, you know, fairly. For the civil rights one specifically, like the stuff that I've noticed, is, and I think that you make a point just to make people aware of basic civil rights that they have. I think that society as a whole has gotten so used to terrible treatment, they think that it's okay, and they don't realize the basic laws that are there to make mm-hmm. sure that you don't have that kind of treatment. Yeah. And you do a really good job of putting those things up on your Instagram so people can be aware of basic things. You're always like, hey, don't talk to the police. Stop talking to the police. Don't talk to the police. <laughs> you know, things yeah. like that, they're just, they seem so basic, but it's something that has been forgotten because we've just been so used to what's been currently happening, you know? Yeah, yeah. and it's like, I mean, to me, it's always been like, uh, like you said, like you always have to prove um, based on either skin color or creed or something like that, like before even giving a fair, you know, fair sentiment or trial, um, you know, I obviously like you mentioned, like coming from just who you are, um, is that what brought you to 
find your purpose in all those three fundamental um, properties, I guess? Yeah, so maybe I, I came up with those words like on the back end as I'm like creating the law yeah. firm, create branding and whatnot. So those are the three things that I came up with, I think most embody the law firm. Whether those things led me to my path, um, yeah, seeing justice and wanting it, that kind of led me down to this path mm-hmm. and seeing people's integrity stripped from them um, you know, led me down to this path. Yeah, was there, I'd say so. Was there any point in time where you didn't, um, where you uh, almost were like struggling on your path or you doubted what it is that you want to do? Like in, in general for the podcast, the reason why we pick people and the reason why we want to tell these stories is because they see a lot of the end result. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, Jeremy's got, you know, two offices. Obviously, it was always easy for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't understand all the stuff that went through. And they're like, oh, I, you know, I couldn't make it because I had to face something that was, like, insurmountable. So I yeah. like to, you know, I like to show that off, too, because people are just like, they were focused on the positive. So if yeah, you don't yeah. mind telling us some of those negative things that happened along the way. Yeah, I will. So I can't say that there was an event that was like, oh, Earth maybe shattered. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore because yeah. that was really what got me through the tough event that I'm about to tell you about. So when I first got to law school, um, I got accepted into law school the Thursday before school started, right? Um, I was on the wait list at FIU. Mm-hmm. Partially my fault because I had applied and I got into Stetson in a, in a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. But then for FIU, I wanted to go to Miami. And so I took the LSAT again, like maybe two or three months before school started. So they had to wait for my scores to come in. I was on the wait list. Um, and I got in like the Thursday before school started, fortunate enough. Mm-hmm. But it kind of uh, it kind of set me back. So in law school, before you get there on the first day, they're sending out first week assignments. They've got orientation and all these different things. So I kind of missed all that, didn't know. And so the first day I get to law school, they had assignments and people had already done them. Mm-hmm. And I never, like I was behind from day one and I never caught up in my first semester, never. And so when mm-hmm. I went down to uh, Miami, I kind of like packed up my, I got accepted the Thursday before school started. Finished working, I think that Saturday, because I worked at the barbershop and Saturday was my last day packed up everything I had in my car and I just drove down. My mom's um, husband, uh, his parents had like a little place down, not in Miami, but in Broward. It's like maybe 45 minutes to an hour away from the law school. Um, And it was like a place that they were like getting ready to sell or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I was staying in that like little apartment uh, for like the first two or three months of school. While I was at that apartment, um, it was no, there was no furniture there. It was not like it was like almost like almost abandoned, mm-hmm. but not abandoned yet. Yeah. They were just getting ready to sell it, so there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. So the shower, I was taking cold showers there. Um, come to find out that the only reason I was taking cold showers because I had turned the water heater, <laughs> the water heater on, right? <laughs> and I just thought that it wasn't working, and so every night I was just taking like cold showers, just <laughs> aggravated and whatnot. Um, and just I didn't have time to like figure out what was going on because so much law school is coming at me so fast mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so like for like the first two or three months that was going on, and then I eventually moved into an apartment that was closer to the school. Um, but by all of those things happening, it mm-hmm. kind of like set me back. So at the first after the first um, semester of law school, I was I had the worst GPA that I'd ever had in school like ever. Three point four or something. <laughs> <laughs> three point four. Yeah, right. Right. I had a B plus. Damn it! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so in I mean in in not so let me explain. Let me go back. I guess yeah. high school. Mm-hmm. College, um, middle school, all that, grade school, 
it was nothing for me to get A's, mm-hmm. um, B's, or whatever. In law school, after the first semester, I had a 1.65 GPA. God. Never had seen anything like it in my out, life. So don't worry about <laughs> that. So you know how you got the dean's list. What's the opposite of that? Like, <laughs> dumbass list. What you mean? <laughs> like, like, I've been on the dumbass list. <laughs> That's the we about to kick you out of school. Yeah. Right? One, I had a 1.65 GPA. Um, the dean, the assistant dean, called me into his office, and he told me that, you know, we'd never had anyone come back from this GPA before. Mm. And he basically told me I should consider dropping out of law school now um, rather than spending the additional, because every semester is like 10000 in, in tuition alone. Mm. He's like, rather than spending the, the additional money. And he like looked at me, he's like, what do you want to do? And remember what I told you that it was in a moment that uh, I felt like I wasn't going to be a lawyer anymore. It was that drive to be a lawyer that was like he asked me that question and it almost like disrespect was like, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm gonna finish law school yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like bad bro <laughs> like, he's like what before, do you want to do months. yeah exactly and that was that was my mindset yeah. so um, long story short I did get over the hump um, in the first year and in the second and third year were much better um, but that moment like seeing my grades come out uh, 1.65 GPA which I'd never seen anything like it before mm-hmm. um that was something that like almost derailed me from finishing yeah. law school. I'm I'm glad you finished. Cause I know I might need you in the company. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, bro. Yeah. You never know. Um, I mean, that's that's a crazy story. I mean, dope story. You, know, you, you talk about being at rock bottom. It's like a 1.65 in school, even in high school. And I'm, I'm sure your parents are probably like. You know, you ain't, I ain't never. What the fuck is this? Yeah, I didn't tell anyone. That. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. We don't yeah, worry about that. Don't worry about that, um, The only people who knew I had that type of GPA was the people who had it with me like, <laughs> in, in law school. Like, we were all in a remedial class. Don't matter, like, all together. Like, dean, like, I really know who you should be talking to. <laughs> it ain't me, but I mean, what keeps you motivated then nowadays? I mean, since no. you've, you've gone through, you know, those things. Yeah, so, I mean, the cases that I that I pick up, mm-hmm. I see either myself or my family members in those clients. Yeah. So their stories keep me motivated. Um, and, you know, just my own, you know, families I, I have here working with me, my dad and my sister mm-hmm. in the law firm. So motivation is to make sure that I'm okay, my family's okay. And, you know, I mean, what other motivation do you need to make sure your, your family is all right? So right. you mentioned the family business. So these are the people that are in your corner. They've been helping you out the entire way. You want to shout them out a little bit, talking good about them? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so sometimes um, they don't finish that paper. Ask them to do. But you know, <laughs> overall. Right. So it's, it's, it's 7 o'clock. Where y'all going? <laughs> <laughs> 7 p.m. Like, you know, just 5 o'clock. It's two hours time. ago, right? <laughs> um, but no, the the people that helped me out. Um, in I'll start with the, in the law firm and then out, obviously. Yeah. Uh, in the law firm, I have my, my dad and my sister as legal assistants here. They're mm-hmm. helping me do a lot of administrative stuff, taking the phone calls, um, writing down information, mm-hmm. going into my system, setting my calendars. And I'm still teaching them all these things, but they're learning it. Mm-hmm. And after they learn it, I think we'll be, you know, it will be an efficient force um, to mess with. And they help here. And they've helped before I got to law school. Um my dad, obviously, from I was a kid, has helped me uh, to become where I'm at now. Um, my mother, the same thing. From I was a kid till now, she still helps me with things. If I call her, I need something. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, you know, family, just aunts, uncles, cousins. They all, you know, they're all supportive of me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think any of them have sent any cases yet. But, <laughs> but they know who to call if they need it. Yeah, it's coming. I mean, it's, it's a conscious choice to like. Obviously, like me and Ryan have family. I sure as hell don't want them working on the podcast. But like <laughs> to, to make a conscious effort to do those things and make sure that you include them in it, it's just it's admirable. It's dope to to, yeah. to keep that family around. And, and it's not easy, like working with family. Nah. <laughs> It's not easy, but we gotta make it work <laughs> somehow. Yeah, that's, that's the damn truth. Let's talk about something a little bit more positive. You were uh, a contributing author to Lessons from Successful African American Lawyers. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so when I was in law school, I was on the, the national board of the Black Law Student Association. And so in that position, I met different law students from all over the country and whatnot. And so I also met a girl, a woman lawyer named Evangeline Mitchell and she does a lot of pre-law things like she engages the pre-law communities mm-hmm. college students or high school students who are trying to get into law school mm-hmm. so when I was um, with NABALSA which is the National Black Law Student Association our mission there was to increase the number of culturally responsible black and minority attorneys um, and so that's she does a lot of that mm-hmm. she's trying to create a pipeline for, for uh, pre-law students mm-hmm. to come in into law schools and then become lawyers because we need more black lawyers um, in the legal field. And so she tapped me after I got out of law school, she tapped me on the shoulder and was like, can you write something for this book? And um, she said, you're gonna be one of the younger people and I need someone from the younger perspective to get in there and and write something. And so I don't know if I put in the book that one of my favorite rappers is Kodak Black, but I'm pretty sure I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, I'm, they don't. I guess kids, when they read it, they may they may not uh, expect to see something like that mm-hmm. from a lawyer. Yeah. Their version, or their vision of a lawyer is probably someone in a a suit, with who has white skin and yeah. you know older, forty, fifty years old or whatever. Yeah. And so then being able to see a younger person, who maybe listens to the same type of music or came from the same type of backgrounds, mm-hmm. like all those things that I wrote in the little, on uh, the book. Uh, they might be persuaded to say, okay, I can do this. Because I've seen, just uh, just this last weekend, I was out with a friend, and they, were, they had their children with them, like maybe eight, nine years old. Mm-hmm. And um, I had on just like shorts and, and a T-shirt or whatever. And so their mom told them, you know, he's a lawyer. And they're like, you're a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> you're a lawyer? Like, 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 yeah. like. You don't look like a lawyer, right. or you don't. I guess you don't act like a lawyer would yeah. would act. Because to them, if they see a movie with a lawyer, it's it's not a, yeah. a younger black. We're not represented. Yeah. yeah. You uh you mentioned two things. One being that your favorite artist was Kodak Black. I don't think that <laughs> one was of probably them. So what, what <laughs> the was first remember rapid people. fire. Remember the <laughs> rapid fire question? It was J Cole. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but, yeah, that's um, true. That's true. Though. But one of them, I like Kodak Black. It's Kodak Black Fire. I, I, I think I got like every Kodak Black album. Yeah. And then the second thing you mentioned is that sh- uh, you guys are trying to find more uh, black lawyers. Can you help brother out? <laughs> 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 no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> what, what do you enjoy most about about being a lawyer or being a, a public defender yeah. um, and fighting for civil rights? Yeah, so um, helping people uh, in situations where like people need help in jail and getting abused by people in jail or getting abused by police on on the street um, or just being abused by the the criminal justice system itself Um, being able to like look at a a criminal case and and analyze it really quickly and say to this person um, you deserve a bond here or 
this needs to be this piece of evidence needs to be suppressed mm-hmm. or you know, I can get you this much time or this much probation, or I can get you off probation mm-hmm. or whatever, or I can pitch this argument to the judge to prove or to show to the judge that you should mm-hmm. get XYZ punishment instead of, you know, the extreme. Yeah. So I think, you know, being able to help people who need the help mm-hmm. um, is something that, you know, drives me. Right. Jeremy, what are some misconceptions that you can face uh, being a lawyer or being a black lawyer specifically? Uh, yeah, so, and I'll, and I'll, I guess, remix your question for you. Um, mm-hmm. Black lawyer, and then also you got to add the part uh, young. Yeah. Because sure. I can tell you some of the misconceptions, like when people see me, is that, oh, you're, you're young, and so you may be inexperienced um, as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a client when I was back at the public defender's office. After we won the trial and she was all happy and whatnot, she was uh, telling me that when she first saw me, like, because at, at in that time frame. She thought she was going to. Because <laughs> I was young. And, and she's like, oh, they gave me a, she said, quote on, she's like, they gave me a baby. And she's oh, like, yeah. I was stressing in my head. And then when I, when I heard you talk and argue for the bond hearing, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm sick. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and even then, was that like uh, two years ago? I didn't have this little. Just beard, that little bit. This little bit of beard that I have now. So even it was worse than even younger. But um, yeah, look, younger. So there's that misconception as a, as a young person, you don't really know um, what you're doing. Uh, I think that's probably a bad misconception um, because as as I guess new as I am as, as an attorney, mm-hmm. um, there's not many people who I've come across who are as knowledgeable about criminal defense as I am, mm-hmm. or who are as willing to fight about. Um, your issues as I am. And so I think a good lawyer comes from someone who's paying attention to detail and who is uh, is caring um, more so than anything else. And so those two things don't really come with age. Mm-hmm. They come with, you know, dedication to your craft. Um, and also there's other things, you know, experience as a lawyer that you get. Um, but because I was able to get so much experience at the public defender's office so quick, you know, handling so many cases in such a variety, mm-hmm. it kind of closed the experience gap where some lawyers who didn't have that much cases yeah. in such a short amount of time, you know, it took them longer to get the experience that I got at the, the public defender's office. So that's one of the misconceptions. Is Are you court, you're yeah. not court appointed, right? No. So in that public defender's office, I was mm-hmm. court appointed. So that's when, you know, if you can't afford a lawyer, yeah. one will be appointed for you, <laughs> so they appoint you a public defender. Yeah. Um, so now I have my own firm. It's right. private. And this is all... All these clients, they're not court appointed. This Jeremy's. Yeah. You run this motherfucker. Yeah, so it's, this is mine. And so the other misconception, misconception about uh, black attorneys, and you get these misconceptions from, from black people. Black people, I know you are. <laughs> is, that, is that you're not Jewish, so either you're not going to be able to, and if you're, if you're doing civil cases, which mm-hmm. I don't do civil that much. Civil rights, yeah, but yeah. they're talking about like car accidents and personal injury Mm -hmm. if you're not jewish you're not going to be getting more money for the case than a jewish lawyer could or if you're not jewish and even on the criminal defense point um you're not you know as connected with judges or prosecutors Mm -hmm. and you can't get me the best plea offer or whatever so that's one of the big things even you like you hear plies in his songs uh he's just what is it uh ran off on the plug twice (laughs) (laughs) he said six lawyers and they all jewish it's like that's popular culture and they believe that that uh jewish lawyers are are better than their own but um, those are some of the misconceptions. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess you, white people do have their own misconceptions about black attorneys. Mm. Um, 
but they're more silent about it. So I really don't know what they think when they see when yeah. they see me as a they lawyer. They never like, said it to your I'm face. <laughs> you start walking in there like, you ain't really got no choice. Like, <laughs> I mean, now you're not court appointed, yeah. so people do have a choice. How have you uh, been impacted personally? Um, and, um, I mean, you've only been in two years, right? But you've been through so much through school, and now, I guess, coming up with trying to manage your own law firm, dealing with civil cases, being a public defender. How has it impacted you personally? I would say... Going back to law school, like law school itself is a is a very impactful mm-hmm. event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It changes like the way you think, the way you view the world, everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that three years is kind of like uh, like a like a what is it? Diamond under pressure. Yeah. Right. So that three years kind of changed me. Like I'm still the same person I was, but I kind of think different now. Mm-hmm. Not kind of. I do think different now. Like I see the world differently now. The things that I that I would have done before I went to law school, I wouldn't do now. A lot of things. So like sometimes I look back at some of the stuff that I have on social media, just from like right before I started law school. Some of the things that I would just say or whatever, and yeah. I I'm like, <laughs> damn it, Jeremy. <laughs> and this is just like five years ago. Yeah. And even when I was like in law school, and I'd look back at like two years ago when I was in college, I was like, why. Like why would I, you know, why would <laughs> I, I think we all got that? Yeah, that's true. I guess that's true. But I just law school does something to you. It just changes the way you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that law school more than being a lawyer impacted me. Like being a lawyer, um, it's kind of a continuation of law school. But the law school, the experience of going through law school. I don't know if you know anyone that's been through it. It's it's tough. And it's um. Two people and you never hear about them really because they just grind yeah. through them times and then after that they go and they grinding again like yeah. you probably working twelve hours a day every day Sunday yeah. and Saturday all that stuff yeah. and it's constantly on your mind so you don't see them uh, so being like you haven't you pretty much handle everybody else's problems who do you turn to when you need help <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> um, myself yeah it's a good question because uh, I guess if you look at it like that and it is true that everyone's giving me their problems to shoulder. Like the problems that they can barely, you know, walk around yeah. with, yeah. they just throw it on me. Yeah, uh, and that's I guess what I signed up for. Because <laughs> they don't know how to handle that. You know, you yeah. have to go. You have to get that school in order to do those and things. And there's some like some of their issues. Like I'm fine. Okay, like I've seen this before. Like mm-hmm. how it may burden you, it won't burden me because I've seen it. and I know how to deal with it. Yeah. Some people will throw me issues of law that I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, and then because they're my friend or family, I'll take it. So mm-hmm. like things that aren't criminal or civil rights. You know they'll throw it to me, the breach of contract. Oh, I'm suing somebody because they, I they they stole money that I let them borrow. And they mm-hmm. didn't give, they didn't give it back. Or uh, my apartment complex is telling me that I need to get out by this this date because I did this. Like those things, I have no idea. Those like, specific that, examples he was giving out. <laughs> <laughs> so when those people have those issues. And they're like stressed out. And they don't know what to do. Yeah. And they give them to me. Like I'm, st- I'm just as stressed. <laughs> as you are. I don't know what it's like. Well, so landlord like, trying to kick me out too. What you mean, <laughs> bro? We both get kicked out. So people look at you like they're hero in a way. Like yeah. I know yeah. who will come save me. And I can I can figure it out. Like the the answer to the questions, but it just puts a burden on me to figure it out. Yeah. They they could have done the same thing probably. Yeah. But they could have done their own research. But because I don't do that type of work. Um, I, I don't know how to do it. It's like a doctor. Like, you can't tell a brain surgeon to like administer the anesthesia. <laughs> you know, unless they know how to do that. I don't know. I don't think they know how to do it. <laughs> so um, yeah, like 
maybe he can do it. Maybe the brain surgeon can. Maybe he's seen it before. And he's yeah. like, ah, oh, I just got to, like, put this in that and <laughs> try it out, you know? Um, the blue wire and the red wire <laughs> together or something. Right. So all doctors don't know every field of, of medicine or whatever. Yeah. Scientists the same way. Mm. Mathematicians. Like, they've got Art. trigonometry. And yeah. they've got Specializing in certain areas stuff. of that. Mm-hmm. So an engineer. engineer. So, yeah. like, but as a lawyer, they're like, well, it's legal. <laughs> you should know how to do it. So, um, yeah, so they do put their things on me. I don't mind it if it's my own, like, my practice, my criminal defense, my yeah. civil rights stuff, because I know that stuff like the back of my hand, mm-hmm. and I enjoy doing it. That's why I went to law school. Yeah. Um, but to answer the second question as to who do I turn to when I have my own mm-hmm. issues, I... I probably should like take Charlemagne's advice <laughs> and start going to therapy or something. But I, don't. I deal, with, I deal with a lot of stuff on my own. Yeah, um, everybody do. Yeah, I, I deal with a lot of my stuff on my own. I just process it, figure out what I need to do, yeah. and just do it. It's because you've been stuck in like having to be the, the strong person, so like, problem solving. Yeah, yeah problem I think solving. that's probably what it is. And I, I, I mean, uh, you, I feel like we can tell already just how smart you are. Um, you spoke on. Um, not even like just intelligence. We, we see that um, being ethical and, you know what I'm saying, going through your justice, integrity, civil rights things. Um, I kind of briefly want to talk about, um, obviously, especially recently, um, the Breonna Taylor case. Mm-hmm. Um, give us your perspective on it. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. And uh, I mean, I, I think I would say it to anybody, I'm still a little ignorant on like why justice wasn't served the way it probably should have yeah. been. Um, what was wrong in the case and like how do you think it was handled? So, I mean, it, it's unfolding every day. Um, more and more details come out. But the reason why, you know, maybe people don't know exactly what happened is because in this case, a lot of the facts are being withheld. Mm. And there was no body-worn camera for the actual shooting. Mm. So with, with the George Floyd, you probably know more about that because you saw the video right. of the guy mm-hmm. sitting on his neck for eight minutes. Right. In this case, you're kind of getting, like, piecemeal. Mm. So in this situation, I can tell you what's kind of been alleged to have happened. There was an officer who signed or got a search warrant signed by a judge, um, and that search warrant had some issues, whether there were factual issues or legal issues. Mm. This maybe shouldn't have been a search warrant that was signed mm-hmm. uh, for Breonna Taylor's apartment. Mm. They were lo- the officers were looking for Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. who she hadn't been with, I think, for a number of years or whatever. They say that they saw the ex-boyfriend going to Breonna Taylor's house in the past, picking up a package and taking it to some drug house across town. So they used that as a basis to get a search warrant for her house, mm-hmm. saying that she was harboring drugs or whatever. In my opinion, if he's taking the package away from he there... should be going to where... Yeah, go to where he's taking it or whatever, and like whatever they delivered, whatever package was delivered by UPS or whoever, like it's gone now, and, right. it was, and he got it from that house to take it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I don't see the... the the real basis for going into that house. Mm-hmm. So they go to the house. The officer who got the search warrant signed, he wasn't one of the three officers involved in the shooting. So it was his warrant. It was his uh, idea to do it, but he wasn't one of the three that were actually in the house doing the shooting. Mm-hmm. right? So they go to the door. They they knock on the door. Um, they're saying that they knocked and announced. Yeah. So they're saying, oh, we knocked on the door, and we announced that we are the police. Right. Um, the boyfriend, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, is inside. He's saying that they, he never heard them announce anything and that they did not announce anything. Yeah. He's saying that they banged on the door like police officers do, and he asked, who is it? They said, they didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Some time goes by, they bang on the door again. He asked, who is it? 
They don't say anything. So he's getting up now. They're banging again. Yeah. Who is it? They don't say anything. And that's when they start to kick down the door with the battering ram. Yeah. They come inside. And as they're coming inside, he shoots one shot at them because he didn't know who it was. Right. Right. Um, they're saying they knocked and announced. They, they went inside and they said they had this witness, the attorney general, um, who's responsible for making yeah. sure that the charges are filed. Uh, he's saying that the police knocked and announced. They went in um, and then they were shot, whatever. And then that justified them shooting back into the house. One officer shoots six times. One officer shoots 16 times. Another officer shoots 10 times mm-hmm. into the house, returning fire from one one, one shot. Right. So 32 bullets? Yeah, if, you, that's, if that's the correct math, right? I think so. 10, 16, 6, yeah. So six go into Breonna Taylor and the rest go everywhere else in the house. Um, and in this situation, the officers, two of them weren't charged. One that shot the 10 bullets was charged. Wanton endangerment. Yeah, for wanton endangerment for <laughs> shooting bullets into another uh, apartment. Right. Right. So in this situation, like you've got like people like Charles Barkley and um, Shaq agreeing with him as to like, oh, we don't see... What, what the issue is here like a boy a guy shot at the police mm-hmm. and they returned fire like mm-hmm. it's it's expected right but you can't look at it from that micro level like right. you can't look at it from like when they're at the door right. and they're saying police right. and and according to them they announce and they go in you gotta like take a step back yeah and realize that they got this search warrant off something that was totally ridiculous mm-hmm. and the officer who got the search warrant signed, isn't one of the officers that's at the door knocking and announcing. He sends in his own, his, uh, I guess his friends or whatever. Who And in these cases, these people, these officers who are serving the search warrant, typically they don't really know what the, they don't know any of the facts behind the case. Yeah. They just like round up their boys. They're like, okay, let's go serve the search yeah. warrant. And they just, you know, they all get in the car, the caravan over, and they just go, go to the door and start knocking and banging and bust down the door or whatever. They don't typically know the, the the facts behind the case and what it is that's going on inside. It's not like the movies where you see them like take out a map Plotting and they're, they're right. briefing like, yeah, yeah. we, we got to make sure that we enter from this side and there's going to be one person here and there. So they're not really doing that. Just like, come on, come on, let's go. And they, they get together and they go to the place. They mm-hmm. execute the search warrant. Um, and they've got their guns drawn. They're, they're just machoed up, everything. So you got to take a look back, mm-hmm. macro level. The officer's going in there. They don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. They have a search warrant that's that's terrible. Right. And then they're at the door and they're playing games. They're knocking but they're not announcing. Then they're going into the house. When they get return when they get some uh, shot fired at them, they return thirty two shots. Right. Is it necessary to shoot thirty two times inside of an apartment building? Like what would you think was gonna happen? Right. Um and so in this situation maybe you can't get the officers on an intentional killing, which is sort of like the highest level of, yeah. of murder, mm-hmm. but they've got lower levels. They've yeah. got, you know, reckless, which sounds pretty reckless to me, negligent, yeah. which sounds negligent mm-hmm. to me. Um, and so they have those types of homicides, mm-hmm. and maybe those were some of the things that they should have been charged with uh, in this case. And in this case, no one even got charged for hitting or killing. They was charged for all the bullets, like people say, they missed, which yeah. is pretty ridiculous yeah. if you, when you really think about it. You're, you're, I would tell you, man, you're a pretty intelligent dude, man. Uh, just in this, what, hour of time, um, you know, like we've seen passion, you know what I'm saying, intelligence, uh, hard doing work, like a motherfucker, doing it for the family. Um, and it, it's motivational and inspirational to us. Right. I like, we, we say it all the time, like, it's not like, thank you, you know, qualifications. Like, uh, we, we see people with a vision and with a passion, and we want to speak to you about, you know, what is it that you're doing to be at the place that you are now 
and we hear it, we see it. So um, from us to you, man, uh, thank you for your time. Continue doing what you're doing for sure. Thank you all. Thank you all. Appreciate it. This has been dope. Uh, For you, what's what's next and what's the long-term goal? For me, next, I got this motion I got to file. Get this dude out of here. <laughs> I'm talking about like next second, bro. I'm talking about like you no know, next step. <laughs> I got to file this motion. So, yeah, next steps like for the law firm, yeah. um, you know, just to maintain um, what I've been able to do in the first month or so that I've been open for business. Mm-hmm. Trying to maintain that going forward for some time. And then we can start talking about expanding, like mm-hmm. maybe adding another lawyer to the firm, mm-hmm. uh, maybe more locations. You know, maybe taking another bar exam and expanding to a different state, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, it's just making sure that I can maintain what I'm doing or how mm-hmm. productive I've been so far. And then like making sure that my units in the office are, are strong yeah. um, so that if I'm not here, nothing crashes. You know, and yeah. making sure that I build good systems in the office uh, and maintaining professionalism, making sure that the clients that I do have right now are getting the type of, uh, you know, representation that they deserve mm-hmm. that they need and that they're paying for so right now and what's next is just to maintain and um after that then we can talk about you know long-term goals we talk about more, yeah. more offices um bigger cases i mean i do intend you know benjamin crump is not the only lawyer in the world <laughs> <laughs> so i know he has all the cases but i do intend to to get some bigger cases um one of these days so uh we'll see all right so last thing is about g shit so Podcast was created to be able to get mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, businessmen, um, young people, you know, in that 25, 35 age range to give back to their community in the sense of story, mm-hmm. being able to tell your story and let them know like, hey, there's somebody out here that's like you. So you can break the fourth wall if you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's some G shit that you would give to the audience and the people out there who are looking up, maybe trying to be a lawyer? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So in, re- in, re- in regards to being a lawyer, I think people should know what they want to do in life from an early from an early age. I think I think it was Muhammad Ali who said you should know what you want to do in life by the time you're like 12. Um, and that's sort of when I determined when I wanted to be a lawyer and that was my goal. And so from everything I did from the age of 12 going forward was I did it to become a lawyer. And so I think if you wait and you, you listen to what your teachers and your professors may tell you, like, oh, you have time to figure out what you want to do. I don't think you have time. Like the time is very precious. Life is precious. I think you need to figure out what you want to do early on in life and then start making moves to get to that position. The earlier you start, the better you'll be off in in the long run. You look down the road 10 years, you may say, uh, and when you're in high school, you may say, oh, seven years of school, that's too long. Eight years of school, that's too long. But you'll be, up, you'll be surprised at how fast that time goes. I look back, I graduated uh, high school almost 10 years ago now. And it seems like yesterday I can remember the last days of law, of, of, of high school, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think you need to figure out what you want to do early and then make sure you're striving to get there. You need to find mentors in your field that you want to be in. And this is not just about being a lawyer. Whatever you want to do, find mentors, find people that look like you, that have been through your struggles. They're out there. They exist. And if, if you want to be a lawyer, there's plenty of minority attorneys who are out there waiting to just get a tap on the shoulder or mentor this person. Um, and so I think for the G shit of the day, uh, for the G shit of the, the year, <laughs> is that success, there's no shortcuts to success, right? So um, you may see someone that's successful 
uh, and you may think mm-hmm. that they've got it all together, and they probably do at that point, maybe, as far as their business or their their entrepreneur uh, endeavors go. But they didn't get there overnight. It took them time. It took them a lot of hard work, and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're a rapper. It doesn't matter if you're uh, an athlete. It doesn't matter if you're a businessman, a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer. All those people work to get where they're at, and they put in a lot of time into their craft. So there's no shortcuts to success. Make sure that you learn or you figure out what you want to do early on in life, and you start talking to people about your, your career path. G shit. Now, uh, you said that you need to be 12. Uh, can you say something for people who like 25? God damn, I'm trying to like... If you're 20, you're 25. He said success. There's no shortcuts to success. That's what a 25-year-old is. 25 years old? And what, the people who are like 60 and 70, they look at 25 Well, tell your kids, like, 12, get so. it together because he didn't told us, like... Yeah, you stuck where you at. <laughs> Jeremy, we definitely nah. want to say thank you for being on. I think that the information that you passed on, the story that you've given, will affect a lot of people in a very positive way. Not just us, because we always see this stuff and it motivates us. We love seeing entrepreneurs in their craft, you know, just whooping ass. And so thank you from us. And we hope that the audience got some dope shit out of this too. Ryan, any closing words? G shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see y'all next time, man. It.